0: Keenan STL Podcast brought to you by Keenan Baptist Church. We exist to connect you to what matters most, to God, to people, and to purpose. This is Pastor Daniel, and today I am flying solo. Pastor Martin is on vacation, and it's just a really busy week for a lot of the staff here. So uh, we are going to continue, though, in our podcast series on eschatology, the study of in-things. And so the last couple of times, we've just kind of um, done some broad overviews of what eschatology is, uh, looking at the, the four different uh, major views. And just as a reminder, those four views are dispensational premillennialism, Secondly, you have historical premillennialism, you have amillennialism, and you have postmillennialism. And of course, a key word you see in all four of those is this term millennium. And that comes from a passage of scripture that we've already discussed uh, in Revelation, uh, where it talks about, that Satan will be bound for one thousand years, uh, and that so the views all spin off of what is that thousand year? That thousand year reign of Christ is it? Um, is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it metaphorical? And so we're going to unpack some of those in in weeks to come. Uh, today though, what we're going to look at is really two things. We're first going to look at. Uh, Just just the end times uh, eschatology uh, as an overview, and also we're going to look at um, just some very few specific things Jesus taught about the end and some things that the Apostle Paul taught about the end, and then we'll see later on how each of the four views define the end a little bit differently, and then we'll also spend some time just doing a a kind of a, a, a not an in-depth look at dispensational premillennialism, but we'll definitely go through the major tenets of um, dispensational premillennialism. So that's what we look to, to accomplish in our time together in this podcast. So, you know, for 2,000 years, people have wondered about the events of the end of time. And what will that look like? What will Jesus's return look like? When will it be? Um, and we, you know, there's all these phrases that that come out there. You're like millennium, which we talked about, tribulation, the Antichrist, six six six. All of these are are in time connected terms that we see both in scriptures, but also just in a lot of you know fiction slash nonfiction writing. Um, a lot of you may be familiar with the the series that came out in the in the 90s. By Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, called the Left Behind series. That is a fictional series that's based on the dispensational premillennial view of end times. But let's just look at briefly in Scripture just some some highlight, kind of like bullet points, if you will, on what are some things that Jesus personally taught about the end, where he uses the phrase the end, end of the age, and again just to just to reiterate. These four different views may define the end and the end of the age differently. So keep that in mind. But here's some specifically things that, that would talk that were said by Jesus. In fact, Jesus promised his disciples he would come again. And his return, uh, and before his return, there would be different events that would happen, kind of like signs. And this is Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse. Um, but he said that many will claim to be the Messiah, many false messiahs. He said people would be deceived by these false messiahs. He warned that there would be wars, famine, earthquakes, pestilence, in a couple of translations, and that all of these would be the what he called the, the beginning of birth pangs. Um, he also said that, um, that believers in Christ uh, persecuted will be persecuted and killed. Believers could be, will be witnesses of Jesus to kings. He said many will turn away from the faith, that parents will be betrayed by their children, brother against brother, friend against friend, an increase in wickedness. Um, all of these uh, will happen, and there will be these. Uh, it it reads like when Jesus says that these supernatural, um, miraculous, physical signs, like the the moon turning to blood, the 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 sun not giving its light, and so these these kind of cosmic um, disturbances, cosmic supernatural events, will happen. He talks about signs of the end, that Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies, the abomination of desolation. We'll we'll get into unpack what that term means. He talked about there'll be great tribulation like never before. Uh, he said that Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles, that false prophets will perform many signs and miracles, um, that severe ocean activity disturbs the nations. People will be in terror. People will be fleeing for their lives. And then Jesus will appear in the sky and the trumpet will sound and angels will gather together God's elect. Again, that's Matthew 24, 25. Also Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. All of this is called the Olivet Discourse. In fact, uh, another key thing uh, that Jesus does say is that no one knows the time of his return. We see this in Matthew 24, uh, verses twelve and thirteen. Jesus said, "No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." And he warns about that time that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So he he paints a bleak picture. Um, and then the apostle Paul talks teaches quite a bit about the end. In passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He teaches the Lord will descend. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts chapter 1 as well. When uh, Jesus was ascending to be with the Father, the angel spoke to the disciples, says, why are you staring up? Don't you know that he will return just as he ascended? So uh, that descend just as he ascended. So The Lord will descend. In Thessalonians, Paul says the dead in Christ, that when Christ returns with the shout, the voice of an archangel, that the dead in Christ will rise first before those who are living at the time, who are in Christ. Of course, this is um, leads right us to this third teaching of Paul, that the living then will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and be with him forever. Paul, that's exactly what Paul says, and he says, so encourage one another with these words. This refers to an event um, that your premillennials primarily refer to as the rapture, this gathering together. Uh, The word rapture comes from Latin, uh, which means to be caught up together, to snatch, to to catch together. And so that, that concept here we see very clearly in Thessalonians. Paul goes on and teaches to not believe those who say the day of the Lord has already come. So if anyone says Jesus has already returned, that's a a falsehood. Um, He teaches that the day of the Lord, which he kind of um, equates with the return of Christ, will be preceded by a time of rebellion. Uh, this revelation of the man of lawlessness who will oppose and exalt himself over God, who will set himself up in God's temple, who will proclaim to be God, who will be revealed when the one holding him back is taken out of the way. Paul uses the term there, the restrainer. Um, that This lawlessness, this man of lawlessness will be accompanied by satanic counterfeit miracles and will be able to deceive those who do not love the truth. And we know, according to what Paul teaches, it says, when Jesus comes, the man of lawlessness will be overthrown and destroyed. And so these are all just clear teachings in the scriptures by Jesus and by Paul. Now, the question is, how do we understand those events? Uh, How do we understand the application of those events? So that's where we begin to look at these different views. So let's just briefly look at dispensational premillennialism. So... The dispensational premillennialism is the view pre-millennium that the return of Jesus is going to happen before a thousand-year reign. Um, now, if you, if you, in fact, let's just go look at that in, in the book of Revelation, where it talks about this event of the millennium. We're in chapter twenty. Here's what here's what the apostle John writes. He says, "This is Revelation twenty verse one. I saw an angel coming down from heaven." So that's, again, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. So here is this concept of the millennium. So um, dispensational premillennials, look at this 1,000-year reign as very literal. There's going to be a literal 1,000-year period where Satan is bound, where he can have no effect. No, he will not be deceiving nations. He will not be bringing about... Temptation. He will. He will be uh, imprisoned, if you will, according to the dispensational premillennial view. And during that time, Jesus will physically be here on Earth, reigning, ruling, being the King of this entire planet, which He already is. But that will be the culmination, the totality of the reign. So that's. That's the premillennial piece of this. Now, what's this dispensational? Now, one of our previous podcasts, we we defined dispensation and what a dispensation is. We're not going to rehash that. But So this view of looking at the end times is this belief that Jesus comes back before the millennial, but he will come back after a seven-year period of tribulation, and this is known as the tribulation according to this dispensational premillennial view, the purpose of the tribulation is that is the time where God pours out his wrath on the earth, on the inhabitants of the earth, those who have uh, denied Jesus, those who have followed this person called the Antichrist, who have taken the mark of the beast, the number 666. And so this seven-year period is God pouring out his wrath. As you read the book of Revelation, you'll get into... Uh, the trumpet judgments. You get into the bold judgments of God. This is God unleashing his wrath against the sinfulness of humanity, their rebellion, their stubbornness and hard-heartedness towards his only begotten son, Jesus. It's when he pours out his wrath and there will be great suffering on the inhabitants of the earth during that tribulation. Now, so that's the tribulation is before the return of Christ but before the tribulation begins you have this event known as the rapture so this is this secret coming of Christ where he snatches he gathers together all believers and this is how this is where the dispensational premillennials will apply the passage of 1st Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 of how with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and you know, all then all who are living will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll be with him forever. That's the rapture event according to dispensational premillennials. It happens before the seven-year tribulation begins. So the rapture, according to dispensational premillennialism, the rapture is the next event that will happen. In the eschatological timeline, um, so so if you just to, just to be clear, we have rapture. Then we have the manifestation rise of Antichrist and the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of that seven-year tribulation is the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, where he establishes his kingdom on earth. That will begin with the battle of what's known in Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon. And we've kind of mentioned that, defined that term in a previous podcast, but that will be the epic battle between Christ and and the Antichrist, where Jesus destroys the Antichrist. And according to Revelation, uh, the Antichrist, also called the beast in this one of four views, the beast and his false prophet will be defeated, thrown into the lake of fire, judged, and Jesus begins his millennial reign on earth for 1,000 years. Then at the end of that 1,000-year reign, as it just said in Revelation chapter 20, Verse 3, after that, Satan will be released for a little while. So after the thousand-year reign, Satan is released, and then you have one final battle, and that is the battle between God the Father and Satan, where Satan is ultimately destroyed, and then he himself is cast into the lake of fire along with the beast and the false prophet. So that's kind of your big-picture timeline of of dispensational premillennialism. So most dispensational premillennialists are what we call pre-tribulationists, meaning that the rapture happens before the tribulation ever begins. However, there are a few who would consider themselves dispensational premillennialists who call themselves mid-trib. So if you look at the mid-tribulation, so that would be the halfway point of the seven years, so three and a half years, Uh, that that's when the rapture happens, because that's when the Antichrist actually becomes possessed with Satan himself. And so uh, we, they see passages and Thessalonians that seem to refer to this, this man of lawlessness when Satan is cast down. They'll try to tie Revelation 12 into this as well. And so that event um, is when that's when the rapture would happen, because that's when God really begins to pour his wrath out on the earth, according to the mid-tribulational view. But that is, a, that is probably a, definitely a minority view within the camp that refers to themselves as dispensational premillennialists. So some things that the dispensational premillennials emphasize, um, some of this I might have already briefly mentioned, but just to kind of d- drill in just a little bit, dispensational premillennialists believe the rapture and the second coming of Jesus are two separate events. The rapture comes, again, before the tr- Great Tribulation or at least before the last half of the tribulation, whereas the second coming of Jesus occurs after the tribulation, after all seven years have ended. And so that seven years of tribulation where there's natural disasters, there's wars, there's famine and pestilences, this will all occur uh, to to people who are... Um, being saved after the rapture. So there will be uh, like 144,000, read that in Revelation chapter 7, who are sealed by God, who are preserved, who are you know guarded. But they're here. The purpose that they're here uh, during the tribulation is to continue to evangelize, especially evangelize to the biological ethnic Jews. And so, again, this is according to dispensational premillennialism. And so those who become believers will continue to suffer during that time, um, during the, the, at the persecution of the Antichrist, but God pours out his wrath on the earth. So um, as far as reading Revelation, uh, the dispensational premillennials take a what's called a futuristic view, which means that they believe that everything after Revelation chapter 3 is future so for one and on is future. In fact, um, one of the key tenets of this view is that Revelation chapter four, verses one and two actually refers to the rapture. Uh, let me just read that. So Revelation four one and two says, "After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven." And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. So they they pinpoint the rapture right here, although it doesn't really mean, mention the rapture, but it says that the, the voice of the trumpet, that the trumpet signifies the same trumpet mentioned in First Thessalonians 4, and, you know, it doesn't mention the rapture, so here the, it's kind of an argument of silence, but that this is when the rapture happens, because the events to follow follow their dispensational timeline. Um, so that's a key tenet of pre of dispensational premillennialism. Um, they do see a very, what's something that's unique about the premillennial view, is it does see a distinct difference between the church And Israel. That will not be the case in amillennialism or postmillennialism where they see the church as being the new Israel. But here in premillennialism, especially dispensational premillennialism, the church and Israel are completely separate. The church is raptured and then during the tribulation it becomes all about Israel again as it had been in the Old Testament. And they see that the, the literal boundaries that God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 will finally be fulfilled during the millennial kingdom reign. And so that is that is God keeping his word to the biological descendants of Abraham, not just the faith descendants of Abraham. And so they see that they, being the dispensational premillennials, see a literal fulfillment those boundaries given to Abraham to ethnic Israel during this millennium. And so that's a big tenet of the dispensational premillennial view. Um, so, so, therefore, all references to Israel in the book of Revelation, according to dispensational premillennialism, refers to the ethnic nation of Israel, not to the church. Um, so, what scriptures seem to support dispensational premillennialism? Well, here's several. Um, that God will remove Christians before the outpouring of his wrath during the tribulation. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. We also see that in Revelation 3, verse 10, the promise to spare them his wrath. We also um, see that God's promises to Abraham and his offspring were unconditional in Genesis 15. And, to be sure, those conditions have not been fulfilled as of today. So, you know, Abraham lived in about 2100 B.C. So from 2100 B.C. to, to 20, 22 A.D., so over 4,000 years, those prom- all of that promise has not completely been fulfilled in a literal fashion. So that argument seems to support dispensational premillennialism. Also, the church is not specifically mentioned between Revelation 4 and Revelation 19. And so, again, the argument of silence, since the church is not mentioned, the church is out of the picture, meaning they had been raptured away. That is an argument in support of dispensational premillennialism. Now, I think we mentioned in the very first podcast about when did this theological position kind of formulate um, and it's it's actually the newest of all of the end times views by far is this dispensational premillennialism. This view emerged in the in the early eighteen hundreds um, by a, a a pastor in a group called the Plymouth Brethren. His name is Darby, um, and the, the the Plymouth Brethren are a group of fundamentalist Bible churches, and um, they. After Darby's teaching, it increased in popularity throughout the mid to late 1800s and spread very widely. So again, James Nelson Darby is one that kind of coined this. Later on, you have a gentleman named C.I. Schofield. I know when I was kind of cutting my teeth in ministry, the Schofield Study Bible was a very popular study Bible. And uh, in fact, at my ordination, that was the, the Bible I received as a gift. Uh, was the C.I. Schofield uh, Study Bible, King James Version, Red Letter Edition. <laughs> so that was uh, a very popular study Bible, but is very dispensational in all of its commentary. Um, also, some other famous um, current and past pastors who hold to the dispensational premillennial view is um, you have Gleason Archer. Donald Barnhouse, Hal Lindsey, Chuck Smith, John MacArthur, Charles Ryrie, Charles Stanley, Norman Geisler, Tim LaHaye, and one who's really become popular here in the last few years, David Jeremiah. All of these hold to the dispensational premillennial view. Now, just as a kind of personal experience, when I was growing up in a Southern Baptist church, this was the only view being taught. So anytime um, when I was a kid, teenager, even young adult, anytime that someone talked about end times or return of Christ, 100% of the time it was couched in the theological framework of dispensational premillennialism. So there's no doubt if you if you have um, Southern Baptist roots in history, that this is most likely the primary, if not only view you've ever really dug your teeth into. Um, I know that was the case for me. And so I really started studying this on my own and going to seminary and hearing about these other views I didn't even know existed. I never even heard of amillennialism before or even historical premillennialism. I hadn't heard of that. And uh, I mean, postmillennialism was like a joke. No one believed that when I was younger. So um, anyway, we'll get into all those other ones. But so from my experience, and a lot of you with a, with a church history well, the history of being in church kind of like me, this might be the only view you're familiar with, and, and that's okay. That's why we're doing this. We want to expose you to um, the scholarly teaching of godly uh, men and women that uh, have really poured over the scriptures. And just as a reminder, as we approach this, this is not one of those essential issues. The essential items of this are that we believe that Jesus is returning. Um, that that's key. That's critical. We also uh, firmly uh, espouse the truth that Jesus calls us to be ready all the time, and we also all agree that no one knows when this will happen. On those three. Essential tenets, all four views agree. It's on these lesser important that the timings and the applications, we need to hold these loosely. These are not issues that we should, you know, fuss or fight over. We can agree, we can disagree, we can have great conversation, friendly debate, but these should not be divisive issues because these are non essentials. The gospel is essential. How all this pans out in the end is not essential because ultimately, you know, it's like a, when I was in seminary, I once had a professor, Dr. Timothy Booker, love that guy, but he said this once, he said, you know, especially when we were talking about eschatology, the study of in things, he said, look, we've got to realize that none of us have all of this right. You know, it's not like the one day when one of us dies, we're going to get to heaven and Peter and Paul are going to be there and they're going to be saying, finally, someone got it all right. Get out the red carpet. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate because someone finally figured it all out just perfectly. And his point was well taken. None of us have this all perfectly figured out in our minds. Now, these four views are attempts at that. But quite honestly, as we're going to explore, there's some some, uh, shortcomings in every single one of the views. And so our goal in this is to look at Scripture, to try to harmonize Scripture through the leadership of the Holy Spirit the best we can, but still hold it loosely because this is not essential doctrine. But um, that's just kind of a quick overview of dispensational premillennialism. So we're going to do kind of an overview, a a more in-depth overview of each one um, in the weeks to come. So next week, uh, Pastor Martin will be back, and he'll join me as we look at historical premillennialism. Then the next week, we'll look at amillennialism, and then we'll wrap up this Chapter of this series with postmillennialism, and then what we're going to do? We're going to go back. We're going to begin to look at different scriptures and see. Okay, so how does the how does like look at Daniel chapter nine, the seventy weeks? How does uh, dispensational premillennialism view that? How does historical premillennialism view that? How does all millennialism view that? And how does postmillennialism view that? So we'll look at you know a lot of these scriptures through the lens of each of the views and so it's going to be a fun journey uh, hopefully it'll be enlightening uh, at times it's going to be confusing because we're all just trying to navigate this as well And um, but it is so important uh, just to study this, you know, Revelation's a hard book but yet the scripture tells us blessed is he who studies this book so there's blessing involved and so we want that so anyway so hope you've enjoyed, if you have any questions comments, feel free to email us at info at canaanstl.org love to hear from you And we'll talk to you next time on Canaan STL Podcast.